Would you pray with me? God, I know that, Lord, there are so many things around us, God, that can distract and lead us away, Father, and just our focus on you. God, I know that in this season, Lord, we, we, we are missing things, God, that, Lord, make us who we are. And we pray today, God, as we sung, that, Father, you would have a way in us, God, that, Lord, things we long for, God, we would see again, Lord. Things we desire, know that you've, you've asked and made us for, God, we would have the opportunity to do once again, God, as, as we serve each other, God, as we love each other, as we bear each other's burdens, God, that, that a powerful communion, oh God, of people, God, that you created us to experience. And Father, I pray that as we open our lives to you today, Lord, even now, we'll experience that together, Father, as your word speaks to us and just brings alive in us your power and your might. God, we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we are starting a new teaching series. We, uh, we didn't exhaust kindness. I want to be very clear about that. I, I shared with someone we could have taught a long, long, long time more on kindness, but coming into Easter, we wanted to kind of walk into this understanding of, you know, we, we focus on an event, but there was so much that Jesus taught and so much that Jesus showed us as he approached the day that, that he came to die on the cross for us and then rise again on the third day. And so this series, we've titled it The Common Made Holy because as he walked and as he taught among his disciples, it was interesting how he took some very common things and all of a sudden he was able to, to use them as a lesson, to make them set apart for his purpose, because that's what holiness is, and, and use them to teach very deep truths to us that I believe we need to recapture today. So I invite you in these next few weeks to get into the Easter story, get into the Gospels, begin to see what God is showing you there. And today our, our theme verse really comes out of Matthew 20, and we'll, we'll bring this every week, Matthew 20, verse 17, and it says this. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. And on the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And aren't we glad this story doesn't stop there? You know, if he just died for us, we would, we would honor that, but he would, he would be a martyr, but he's much more than a martyr. He is our God. He is our Lord. And the word says, on the third day, he will be raised to life. Can I tell you, we need all of us some things raised to life in us, don't we? There, there are some things that are just dead that need to come back alive in us. We're praying for that. You know, I, I've always kind of fought against the revival mentality because, you know, we, we had revival services growing up. Any, any of you, when you were raised in church, was there like an annual revival week? It was like once a week, every year, everything dead is going to come back to life. That was kind of the premise. And, and, and it was like, God, why is it just this week? Because every day there's things the Holy Spirit wants to bring in us and bring them to life. And I trust that. Because if God can raise Christ from the dead, how many know he can do anything in us? And so we're looking forward to that day. But as they approached that day, there were, there were so many things that, that Jesus came into or, or taught or came across. There were so many choices that people had to make during the Passion Week as it led up to the crucifixion of Christ. There were so many things they had to decide, but Jesus had to make some decisions. The disciples had to, the religious leaders of the day, and even the crowd that saw the events. And so today, we're going to focus on one event. We're going to focus on, on the night before Jesus was betrayed. It was going to be his last night with his disciples before the acceleration of the events that would lead to Calvary, where he was going to be arrested and beaten and crucified. 
but he chose to spend that final evening with those who were closest to him. He chose to spend that final evening with his disciples, and it was his last time to speak into their lives. I've always tried to picture that. You know, I've had the honor of being around people in their dying days as a pastor over the years, and it's interesting how some of the most profound things are said in those last moments. Some of the things that were, were kind of built up over a lifetime are brought out in that moment because it's that last chance to love or encourage before there's, there's no more opportunity. You know, I, I believe this. He was fully aware that his disciples needed to hear some things from him. He was fully aware that they needed to understand. He, he knew what was fixing to happen. He was going to be betrayed by one of them. He was going to be denied by one of them. But yet he also knew his love for them meant he had one more lesson that they needed to learn. Because he knew the conditions of their hearts. He knew what was going on inside of them. If you think about it, they had been on the road for three and a half years together. And like all humans, when you spend a lot of time together, how many know you can sometimes get on each other's nerves? In fact, they were starting to have some difficulties among the disciples. If you remember the stories, they were starting to debate like, well, who's the greatest? You know, one of his mama showed up and began to, to, to do all politics on Jesus. Like, well, hey, my son can sit on your left. My son can sit on your right. They were having pride issues, ego issues, not like us at all. And they were coming and even saying that one of them said, oh, he loves me best. And I love reading John's gospel because he says that over and over again. John and us, we're going to have a conversation with John in heaven. Because I don't believe God loves any of us best. He loves us all equally, Amen. But yet they were having these troubles, and they were, they were loving each other, but they just didn't like each other anymore. They were getting on each other's nerves. I mean, let's be honest. There are times we get on each other's nerves. You know, that which was cute during dating, you know, that little habit that was kind of adoring. And three and a half years, the mayor's like, stop it. Just stop it. You know, it's, it's, that, it's that vacation after COVID. Like, I just want to get away with my kids. We're going to go to the mountains, no technology. We're just going to spend time together. It's going to be so awesome. After about three days, you will buy them an iPad. Say, so please spend some time with yourself. Because we just have a way of getting on each other's nerves. And we can laugh at that, but what was happening in the disciples' hearts had to change. There, were, there was something in them. They were missing the mark. They were missing what Jesus had showed them over and over again because they were thinking about all the wrong things that didn't matter. And so Jesus does something so outrageous that it surprises all of them because he had to teach them if they were going to be the church, if he, if he was going to entrust them with the gospel, if the gates of hell were not going to prevail against it, something had to change in their hearts. We see this in a story in John's gospel, John chapter 13. It's very famous. It's one that we mostly know about, I would say, but it was the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. Pick it up in verse 1 in John chapter 13. It says, it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I, lo I love that phrase. He loved them to the end. The fullness of Christ's love was shown to those that, that followed him. In verse 2, it says, The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he wrapped around them. Jesus chose the basin to show the absolute call of all of us to serve. Jesus chose the basin as, as one last lesson, as one last object lesson to his disciples to show what we were created to do. 
I mean, think about it. He could have chosen many topics to teach on that night, but his last action was something that was so powerful, he didn't have to use words. He just came to show them the heart of a servant. I love, I love the picture of this, of this activity. I love the picture of this moment because he washed all their feet. He didn't come to Judas and go, no, no, thank you. He washed his feet. He knew what was going to happen. He knew what was going to take place. He even came to Peter, who he knew would deny him, but he began to wash Peter's feet. But Peter, being Peter, had to say something about it because that's what Peter did. In verse 6, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, <laughs> it wasn't like adoring, like, Lord, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Here's what Peter realized. His ego, his pride, and honestly got them to this moment. It was a, a lot of the struggles they were having, Peter could take ownership of, but he realized what Jesus was offering. He knew that in himself, which we all have to come to, he was not enough. He knew that he would not make it. He knew that he would not represent Christ well. But his pride, it was still battling. And he had to humble himself to admit that his only hope was found in Jesus. So Peter pushed back. But Jesus made it clear Peter had a choice. Peter, your own way or my way? Is this the only way it's going to work? Your, my, your way or my way? There's a choice even now you and I have to make on a day-by-day, moment-by-moment basis. Are we going to follow the way of Christ? Or are we just going to do things our way? And hope he somehow catches up with us. We pick up the story in verse 12. It says, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, I want to quickly clarify what was taking place here, and it is this. I think it'll be on the screen. I could be wrong, and that is this. Jesus wasn't trying to start a movement or a service which included foot washing. Come on, somebody. Can you just see that? They already have my shoes off. We're going to wash each other's feet. That's about as bad as we said, okay, we're going to confess our sins to one another. I mean, we're just not going to do that in a public setting. He wasn't creating a movement that involved foot washing. He was trying to create in those who would follow and represent him to the world a foot washing spirit. Now I will tell you, if you've never washed someone else's feet, you have missed quite a spiritual moment. I've had that privilege in Ecuador with our great friends, the Hickeys and others, where we were washing the feet of kids and giving them new shoes and telling them about Jesus. I had the privilege of washing the feet of my mentor that gave me my start in ministry, restoring him from a time of brokenness, and it broke me, uh, as you can imagine, because it wasn't a matter of just doing something odd. It was honoring someone who poured their lives into me. Here's the thing about this foot-washing spirit, and that is this. If, if you don't have the heart of a servant, if you don't have this, the spirit of one who would wash others' feet, then you will make Christianity be all about you. And that's what the disciples were doing. You make it all about you. What can I get? What, what, will, what will I receive? And oh, we receive so much. I mean, God's given us everything. He holds nothing back from us. But if we don't have that heart of a servant, it becomes literally all about us. Jesus said, very truly, I tell you in verse 16, no servant is greater than his master. 
nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. You see, it's not enough that we know that we are to serve. It's not enough that we know that that's the spirit God wants in us. We've got to put into practice that which God taught us. He was showing his disciples how they were going to live, how they were going to minister, how they were going to put feet to the gospel and show the world they loved them more than by just saying, I love you. You see, there was a need of action behind the words. It was a choice, the basin choice. And it's a choice each one of us has to make. It's the choice we have to make between laying down our rights and serving others or always looking for someone else to serve us. Because when we do that, we're missing that blessing that God has for us. There's some interesting things that took place in this story that I just want to kind of point out as we teach through this because there's so much going on here. I mean, think about it. it was the, it's, his, it's his last night, and this is the topic he chose. I mean, he could have whipped out the prophecies of Revelation and showed them the things that are going to be. He could, have, he could have talked about so many other things, but he, he chose this topic on his last night. How important it must have been for him that before Calvary, he would focus on serving others. It was the last lesson. I mean, it carries that much priority in his life because how will the world know? How will they understand our love if all we do is talk about it? If all we do is give out great statements, but you ever, never line them up with our actions. It's the last visual they'd ever have of Jesus before his crucifixion. I mean, think about it. Those feet that he washed will run off and to betray him. Judas. They'll run off to deny him, Peter. They'll abandon him and hide for their own sakes, everyone else. And that will be the imagery they have in their minds, even when they're doubting that Jesus served them with a basin to wash their feet. There are things he did that speak to our own choices. He got up from supper. Come on now, you don't get up from supper unless something's good, right? He, he, he got up from supper. He allowed himself, listen, he allowed himself to be interrupted was something that was bigger than his own need. He could have been so focused on what was ahead of him that he paid no attention to those that are near him. I'm afraid sometimes we all struggle with that. We're fighting our own battles. We know what we're dealing with, things that are around us. We get so focused on, on what it is we need from God that we miss the needs all around us. Yet it's through the needs and it's through the interruption that God sometimes answers the very things we are seeking him for. You see, he allowed his mission to be interrupted, a mission that would ultimately lead to, the, to our freedom from sin's curse and that constant fleshly pull to seek that which is only good for us. And he showed us how to serve others so that we'd learn to love them the way he does. You know, honestly, over the years, I can tell you there's been so many disruptions that become divine connections. There's so many times we get frustrated. Why are they interrupting me? Why, are this, why is this happening? But it is God setting us up to experience something in his love that we would not experience otherwise if we weren't interrupted out of the routines of our day. We've got to welcome the interrupted life. Here's the second thing I notice about this story, and that is he took off his outer garment. You may not think that's significant, but what he was doing was he laid down that which identified him. He laid down that which made him better than. He laid down that which would tell others that there was an importance about him, and he served them. You know, we so often allow our titles to get in the way. We so often let our positions get in the way of serving people. One of my favorite revelations is on Thursday nights when, when I don't know if someone tells them or whatever, but I'm out there with like, you know, like a, a yellow vest on and a funky hat, and I'm just like parking cars. And I always love when they run down there and say, you're the pastor? 
And I'm like, do I look like one? You know? I, I know what they're saying is, what are you doing here parking cars? And I'm like, because I'm no better than anybody else. I have a job and a title God called me to, but I stand before God just like everyone else. I have a higher calling. I have a responsibility toward you, yes, and for you also. But can I tell you, you got to learn to lay down the title sometimes. Learn to serve people where they are, because then you experience God's blessing working through you. You see, here's the thing about this story that, that we miss sometimes, because again, it's a common story that if you grew up in church, you know it well. But one of the things we miss is simply this. The disciples knew exactly what was happening that night. When they, when they came into the house and the banquet was prepared for them, they knew that after traveling all day long on dirty roads in their sandals, there would always be a servant ready and waiting to serve them to wash their feet. Someone, that, that invisible person, it's kind of like if you go to a really nice restaurant and they take your coat, you don't, you don't really make chit-chat with that person. You, you almost just kind of like, like they don't exist, but yeah, they're serving you. They knew someone would be there, but that night there wasn't. There was no servant. It was a family gathering. Nothing was there but a basin and towel. And look at this. Every one of the disciples walked by the basin and towel thinking, someone else will do it. Someone that is beneath me will wash my feet. Now I understand Peter. Now I understand the shock and the awe of his statement like, Lord, you're not going to wash me. Because the embarrassment and the guilt that came of understanding, we are waiting for someone less than us to do that for us, and now one that is greater than us is bowing down and washing our feet. They went to the table with dirty feet. Can I tell you, and this will be on the screen, when the basin is beneath you, you will never be able to receive the full blessing of God in your life. When the basin's beneath you, and you're always waiting on somebody else to do something for you, you'll miss out on the blessing of life. You see, the blessings follow the basin. The story goes on. It says he, he took a towel, <laughs> something so simple, something so common. He, you know, the disciples, I think on that, on that banquet, they were ready for him to hand out titles. You know, hey, you're the greatest. No, you're the greatest. No, you're the one I love the most. And no, instead of that, he takes up a towel and he prepares to serve them. It was the texture of the towel that they would, they would find the blessing. I, I know for us, the towel may not speak that much because typically if you're like my house, towels are really reserved for only good things. You know, you don't clean up messes with towels. That's what we have paper towels for. Can I get an amen? I mean, you know, it's, let's use the cheap stuff. We're going to clean up a mess. But no, he took up a towel to clean up the mess off their feet. We must never forget that as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been called into the messiness of humanity. We've been called into the, into the places of understanding the, the brokenness of humanity all around us. I, I kind of like the paper towel analogy because like the paper towels, we were made with a purpose. We've been all rolled up in the community together, waiting for our opportunity to be pulled out and say, there's the mess. Go for it. Because in the messiness, we, we find the beauty of our Creator. In the messiness, we find the, the grace of our God. In the messiness, we find the humility that makes us be able to, to come and sing amazing grace and it not just be a pep song, but something deep inside of us goes, I never have deserved this, but yet he died for me. 
It's the service, the towel. He stooped down, I notice. He got down on their level. He got down on her knees. Can I tell you, he loved them to the point he would go low so that he could lift them high up. He loved them in spite of themselves. Check this out. He loved them in spite of their past mistakes. How many know that we've made a lot of mistakes? The world and others like to bring them up, don't they? But our God does not. He loved them in spite of their past mistakes. He loved them in spite of their present flaws. He knew what they were thinking. He, I use this phrase a lot, and forgive me if this offends you. We're a bunch of goobers, but we're his goobers. I mean, we, he knows us, and yet he still loves us. He still works in us. He knows our past mistakes. He knows our present flaws. He even knows our future failures. But he loved them anyway. I don't know about you, but that brings hope to my life. That brings hope to my life. His love never changes. It is unfailing love. It never changes. He stooped down to get on their level to wash the mess off their feet, and he leaned into them. He got involved in their lives. He gave them a choice. He showed them the way, and the question was not even spoken, but it's one that we see clearly. Do you choose the basin, or do you just choose to be served? Do you choose to enter the life of service or are you waiting on someone else to do it? You see, the basin of Jesus was a basin of serving. That by getting involved in the brokenness of others, by serving others, by, by getting down on their level, by stooping down and engaging in that, what we're doing is we're offering freedom. We're offering life through Christ. Oh, we can't save anybody. Do you know that? But man, we can set the table. We can create the atmosphere. We can open the heart for the Holy Spirit to come in when we learn to serve and serve others. You see, in the Passion story, there was another basin. There's a basin that wouldn't appear for about another 24 hours. It is the basin that was used by the, by the governor named Pilate. If you're familiar with the story, it begins in Matthew 27. And in verse 17, it says, So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Which of the two do you want me to release to you, asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And isn't that the question that everyone has to answer? What will we do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? Pilate asked, and they answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? Asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but instead an uproar, a riot was about to take place, he took water, he washed his hands in front of the crowd, he said, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. See, Pilate did just the opposite of Jesus. He chose the basin, which basically said in his mind, I'm not part of this. I have nothing to do with this. He chose to, to wash his hands of responsibility. We don't have that choice. Well, we have that choice, but we've got to make the right choice in that. He, he made the choice. He said, you, you really have to know I want nothing to do with this, but yet we don't get to, to do that because all of us are responsible with what we do with the man Jesus. Remember the book of Revelation? He says he stands at the door and what? Help me out. He He knocks. And here's his promise, if anyone opens the door, that's our choice. That's your choice. Anyone that opens the door, I will come in. We'll have fellowship, we'll have life together. But Pilate said, I want nothing to do with that. 
He refused to make a choice. You see, Jesus chose a basin of service, one that allowed him to be interrupted, one that allowed him to stoop down. But Pilate chose a basin of rejection, and all of us have a choice which basin we choose. We can choose the basin to serve, or we can choose the basin that says that's someone else's responsibility. Because when we serve, we give our lives fully to Christ, and we use all that he has blessed us with to serve others, praying that they too will accept him. We do this when we live lives that are receivable. We've been talking about these last several weeks. We do this when we put ourselves in places where others can see Christ in us and invite others into that moment. You see, lost humanity is our responsibility. It's not about just getting there. It's about who you bring with you. Lost humanity is our responsibility. I mean, think about it. Could it be out of our serving, our, our generosity, through our giving of tithe and offering, meeting physical needs, emotional needs, maybe we would just in those moments pointing others towards the freedom we have found, that they too may come to understand the amazing grace of Christ. But we only do that when we're in the basin of serving and not in the basin of rejection. You know, I... I don't think it takes a genius to say that life is full of choices we have a lot of choices in freedom group we talk that that we choices lead us somewhere our feelings will follow but they choices lead us somewhere and we have to make a choice do we serve or do we not i i love i love the hope community i i love that there is a spirit of service in this place I love, that, I love that there's a responsibility that we have felt and we, we feel it and we believe it for our community around us, that we just don't have a building in the middle of nowhere that we all run into and then run away from that has no responsibility at all to represent Christ day by day, moment by moment. I love that. But I recognize how much more, how much more God wants to do in each of our lives, not just in this locale, but wherever God finds us, wherever God places us, wherever he embeds us in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our place of work, in our families, wherever God places us, I can imagine how much more he's calling us to take off the outer robe, put the, put the towel around our waist, and choose the basin of service. Because here's the thing, we come to that place where we honestly can say, God, use me out of your love for me, God. Lord, use me to care. Lord, use me to serve broken and lost humanity. Because my highest hope, God, is there saved. I was thinking this week, and as we wrap this up this morning, really this Passion Week, this, this walk toward the cross, Jesus took very common things. He made them holy because they were so critical to us. Next week, Pastor Chad's going to talk about fruitfulness, talking about the fig tree that Jesus came across. I'm going to wrap it up talking about availability when talking about the donkey that Jesus rode into Jerusalem. But this morning, he's focusing us in on this basin of service. And it really comes to this point that causes us to ask, what basin do we choose? Because I think we've made it in our day and our time so easy to serve vicariously through everybody else. That's not what he's calling us to. Look at them. That's great. They're serving. But God has called every one of us to the basin. You know, we've been, we've been struggling with a question around here. I'm going to ask the musicians to come and join me. We, we really believe that service is the, is the road God paves to the lost. 
We really believe that service is the way we embrace our community. For too long, and I think, I think COVID has kind of done us a favor, for too long churches have just kind of looked out and said, hey, we got a building, we have a sign, we have a steeple, all come. In a generation that says, why? But the moment we break the whys, when we begin to serve, we begin to go out and meet needs that are right in front of us. We begin to see things through Jesus' eyes and be willing to stoop down and say, you know what, we're, we're okay to get into the dirt of humanity. We're okay to get into the messiness of, of those around us. If that's what it takes for them to see the love of Christ is not something we just come and sing about on Sunday or talk about in our chats. It is something we live out moment by moment, day by day. One of the challenges I, I really feel as a pastor and as I feel as your pastor is this, what's our next Hope Street? I feel that deeply because it's awesome to serve food. It's awesome to meet that need. But can I tell you, there's a lot of people around us that are hurting and their need is not food. There needs to be love. There needs to be, their needs are to be shown. There is true freedom to be found from addictions. Their needs are real strong to single moms understand there's somebody for you that can help you that's there when you feel all alone in your own life there's needs in your family there's needs around us that no one else is going to do and i think that's one of our human tendencies someone else will do it we're like the disciples someone else will do that i really believe god's calling us as we approach easter to examine that god what burden have you had in my heart god what have you created me to be God, what, what is it, Lord, you uniquely shaped me to do? We have a class about that on Wednesday nights. Pastor Chad does a great job teaching that. Because we all don't serve the same way, do we? Oh, I, I have fun parking cars, but I, I get it. This is my main service. I get it. But I don't want to ever lose touch of what it feels like to wash another foot. I don't want to ever feel what it looks like, ever lose what it feels like to hear someone share their story and the tears begin to flow out of them and they begin to flow out of you because you realize but by the grace of God it'd be oppositely flipped and my prayer today is this my prayer and desire as I teach this is simply this what is it that God has made you to engage in for many I know I know I know this is our answer it's my job hey you're right let it start there. Let it start at your family first. But I would challenge you to even go further. Serve when you're not getting paid for it. Because I believe the revolution that's going to come, I believe the revival that's going to come, I believe because I believe in that with all my heart. I believe it's going to be spirit-led, I mean spirit-powered. But I, can I tell you, it's hard, it's hard to really believe that signs and wonders will follow if we're not actually touching and engaging with people that are far from God. And that doesn't happen by saying show up for a service. That happens when we're among those that need him. He finished with this statement. John 13, verse 17, he said this. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do what? If you do them. Would you pray with me, Father? God, sometimes we saw through your son Jesus examples of God, him just checking up the hearts of those that were following him, God. And Lord, I know that's what this moment feels like in my own life. God, you're checking up my heart, God. And 
Father, Lord, you're, you're calling us to really examine this, this one vein. Lord, it's a powerful vein. God, that vein of service. God, I know that already at Hope, God, we, we do a lot. And we, we, could, we, could, we could engage and we could sit back and say, oh, it's awesome. But Lord, there's more. And I know that. God, you've called us to that. But Lord, it's not about waiting for a, a pastor or a leader to say, here's how. It's for each one to say, God, how do you want to work through us? Because God, you're the one that formed us out of dust. God, you're the one that breathed life into us. God, you're the one that God filled us with gifts and talents and God attitudes and personalities, God, and abilities. You're the one that made possible, God, for us to add tools to our tool belt, God, whether it be through education or experience, God. Lord, you're the one that gave it all to us so that, God, you would help us to give it all away. Lord, the way you did when you gave us your son. So, Father, I pray this morning, God, as we take a moment, God, even before we celebrate communion, as we prepare our hearts to walk that path towards Easter, God, God, speak to us.